Let's pray before we start this morning. Father God, we take a moment to distill ourselves in your presence. Father, we pray that you would help us to be open to hear from your spirit this morning. And Father, I thank you that no matter what we've come with today, you know where we're at, you know how we feel, you know the things that were trying to stop us from coming to church today, you know the things that we had to battle with to get out the door this morning, you know how we feel just sitting in these chairs, you know where our hearts are at as we've worshipped this morning. And Father, you're not surprised by any of these things because you are God and you welcome us here today. And so, Father, we pray that you will speak to our hearts and that we'll be open to hear from your word today. In your name we pray. Amen. So over the last few months, the ministry team have really been praying about what God is saying to the church, where we're to go next. There's been so many different changes over the last couple of years that we really felt we needed to stop and take stock of where we are and what God might be saying. And we've had a really specific word that we've heard again and again, and we've decided that this is where we're going in terms of our new series, and it's back to basics. God keeps saying, just get back to the basics. Everything has changed. Everything has moved. Let's get back to basics and hear from God who we are, who he is, what he's saying about the church, what he's calling us to, where he's moving us to. And so over the next couple of months, we're going to look at these questions. We're going to think about who is God, who are we, and what is he saying to the church right now? And so we're starting in this series today, Back to Basics. So I want to start this morning and I want to think a little bit about the roots of the Nazarene Church. This is Parkhead Nazarene Church, if you didn't know it, where you are this morning. And I want us to think a wee bit about what it means to be a Nazarene Church. People ask me all the time, and I remember when I was studying, people used to say to me all the time, is that a cult, the Nazarene Church? And this was a Christian college, but they'd heard about the Nazarene Church and they thought it was a cult. (laughs) They they weren't even familiar with it. I think that might have been because Dave and Emma were there and they knew they had connections, you know. (laughs) They thought you were weirdos, you know. (laughs) I'm only joking. So what's the difference between a Nazarene Church and other churches? And there's lots of things that we could say about that. And to be honest, whenever I'm asked that, I find that a difficult question to answer because I tend to see the similarities rather than the differences. And you know, there are so many other denominations and actually we all worship God, Jesus Christ. There's so many things that we have that are similar that I tend to not focus on the differences. And I know that it doesn't really matter actually what denomination you're part of, whether it's the Christian church, the Catholic church, the Baptist church, the church of Scotland. It's God who is above all things and God works in and through all these churches. There are great Christian leaders all over our city and they're not all from Nazarene churches. But having said that, there are lots of reasons why I've chosen to be part of the Nazarene church. I love this denomination and there are so many things I could say about that this morning, but I just want to focus on a couple of things that I've found really important. One of my favorite things about the Nazarene church is that even at its roots, even at its very basics, the Nazarene church was born out of a heart for the poor. The denomination comes out of Methodism and the teachings of John Wesley. 
And I'm not a, a big history buff. I'm, I don't really know that much. Don't know much about history. But I've never sang from the pulpit before. But you never thought you were getting that this morning. <laughs> oh, I'm so cringy. Apologies. <laughs> exactly. I'm preaching about that this morning. Um, yeah, so absolutely. Um, I'm not, I don't really know much about history, but actually, I love thinking about history when I think about the Nazarene Church because I am amazed what our denomination has done through the years. And when I think about what it's accomplished, when I think about what it's been involved in, I'm really proud to be a Nazarene, proud, to, I'm proud for what they've done. And so I want to share a wee bit about that for you. John Wesley was someone who believed that you, if you're a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit in you, then it absolutely needs to have an effect on how you live your life and how you treat the poorest and most vulnerable in society. He wrote this. He said, how much better is it when it can be done to carry relief to the poor rather than send it? To carry relief to the poor rather than send it. Now, his point was that sometimes we can give money and we can send help and we can keep ourselves at a distance from people from real poverty. And he says it's wonderful to give money, but actually, how much more incredible is it when you can go to people and be with them and be in it, when you can put yourself in the midst of people who are poor, when you can live alongside those who are having difficulty, when you can be part of them like Jesus was. And John Wesley was somebody who really practiced what he preached. And so he did this in the most incredible way. He lived it out. He traveled all over the place on his horse. And he carried this message to the most vulnerable, getting involved in all sorts of ministries. He would get involved in issues of justice. He was working in prisons. He was preaching to the most vulnerable, um, underprivileged children and families. Wherever there was poverty, wherever there was difficulty, John Wesley would find himself there. And in his preaching and in his work, he would raise up the least, the last, and the lost. And he would make it clear that they are loved and that they are valued and that this gospel message that Jesus brings is for them, the most poor in society. This message of Jesus is for them also. He wanted everyone to know if you've been abandoned or left or hurt or broken or forgotten, then this message of Jesus is for you because he has not forgotten you. And maybe that's a word for somebody who's here this morning. Maybe you needed to hear that this morning. He has not forgotten you, and he sees you today. And that example has been carried on and is very much the DNA of the Nazarene church. Nazarene churches all over the world place themselves amongst the most vulnerable people so that they can reach out and they can share God's love. And this church is no different. It was started in 1906 by a man named George Sharp. And he wanted to preach about holiness and transformation by the Holy Spirit, an experience of the Holy Spirit in your life that moves you into something more. And he wanted to make it clear that this is for all people. God's Holy Spirit was for all. No one is to be left out. And he even played a part in the first woman being ordained in Scotland. It happened in this church here in Burger Street in our old building. And it was so significant because our denomination was part of history, saying that no one is excluded from God's Spirit being at work in and through them. So when society said that women didn't really have a role or any place in leadership or in the workplace, the church, this church, we're at the forefront of saying, no, they will be ordained because they have gifts for ministry. And that's amazing. And when our culture put the poorest and the most vulnerable on the edges of society and said, I don't think this gospel message for them, 
our church brought them back into the centre again and gave them a place in this. And when our society said that people were too uneducated to be able to know God and to read the Bible, the Nazarene church sent people out all over the place to help the poorest to read the word of God and to be able to understand it. So if you're here today and you're thinking, what could God ever do with me? I've got nothing to offer. I'm no good at anything at all. All you need to do is look around this church and see the many people, the legacy of how God has worked in people's lives in the most unlikely places and the most unlikely people and brought transformation. That's the history of this church. That's the legacy of everybody sitting here. God is able to work in all people in any place. And then lastly, even the structure of our denomination is set up so that the smaller churches and the poorest churches get the benefit of the bigger and wealthier churches. And so globally, it's designed so that the parts of the world where the church is poorer will be blessed by the parts of the world where the church has more. There is a sense of unity across the world within the Nazarene church. And although it's not perfect, there's many mistakes in it, I know that there is a heart in this church to make sure that there's equity and equality across the churches with a focus on the most vulnerable so that no one is left. And I love that about the Nazarene church. So I want us to turn to scripture now because the heart of mission that we're talking about here is born out of the Bible. And so I want us to read about this in scripture and look at the example of Jesus. So I'm going to invite Becky forward. She's going to read. I feel like you'll be fed up in my voice this morning because it's, not, it's going to be long, guys. I feel like I'm ready to preach this morning. So I've brought Becky up so that you can get a wee break from me. So Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 7. Thanks, Becky. in your inheritance and so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours thank you what an incredible mission we're talking about today um, this has been what we felt as a church for a long time. I would say that these are some of our formative verses that have shaped the direction of us as a church. And um, I wanted to give a bit of focus to that this morning. Really what we're talking about is to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this community and in this church. Everything Jesus comes to bring that we read about in these verses, that's what we long to see in people's lives. And I don't want us to become so over-familiar with this that we 
We forget what an incredible call and incredible mission this really is. Sometimes we read these verses as if we're just rhyming them off. But imagine if we began to see these verses take place and to have impact in people's lives. Imagine if you could see it in your family, in your community, in your neighbors, with your work colleagues, and for every person who walks through these doors. It says in it, he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Can you imagine bringing good news to the poor, to those who are disappointed and devastated, to those who haven't heard good news for a long time, to the ones who have lost hope? And we can tell them there is hope, and his name is Jesus. There's one who comes to save. It says, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. How incredible to be able to point to the one who can bring healing to the broken heart, to bring healing to the wounds of grief and trauma. And it goes on, it says, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. So many of us here are experiencing that freedom that we're talking about. We know what it's like to feel stuck, to feel stuck in sin, to be bound by insecurity, to be kept in darkness. And we've experienced the God who brings freedom in all its fullness. I'll maybe preach on this another time, but I definitely feel like I'm coming into freedom more and more of this season in my life than I've ever known or experienced it. I definitely feel like I'm being released from things. I'm freer in worship. I'm freer. See, there's a small thing, right? See my decision making? I used to make decisions and I would stress about every outcome. I couldn't make a decision because I was thinking if I make that decision, it's going to be wrong. And if I make that decision, it's going to be wrong. And I would think about all the outcome of both decisions. I feel like I'm becoming freer where I know that God's in both decisions and it'll be all right one way or another. There's so many ways I'm experiencing freedom. We've been praying for freedom in our prayer meetings because we recognize that the spirit of the Lord brings freedom, freedom from insecurity, so many different things. So freedom is something that we want to pray for. We want that, to see that in the people that we know. And then it says in verse 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What does that mean? I love this because it's talking about Jubilee. I don't know if you've ever heard about Jubilee. It's talked a lot about in the Old Testament. And Jubilee would happen every 50 years. And it was a time when financial debts were cleared and slaves were set free. And basically, it was almost like a clean slate and a, a restart, a fresh start. And in these verses in Isaiah, it's like Jesus is saying, I'm declaring jubilee over you. I'm declaring a fresh start over you for my people. Imagine being able to say to someone who all their life has had a past of huge mistakes again and again, and being able to say to them, do you know that Jesus gives you a fresh start? Do you know that you've got a clean slate today? Because that's the truth of what we can offer in Jesus. And then it gets even better. Then there's those verses that talk about the divine exchange where we can bring all our brokenness before God and he replaces it with something amazing. He gives healing and restoration and beauty and joy because when we give God our broken pieces, he makes it into something incredible, something even better than what we had before. And then it says, they will be called oaks of righteousness a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. How beautiful is this, right? This is my prayer for us here, that God will grow in us so that we will be people who are strong like oak trees of righteousness, 
incredible strength rooted in God and that the places where he plants us, wherever that is, wherever we're planted in this community, in our own communities, wherever, that we will display his splendor, his glory, his beauty in all that we do. Basically, that we will be so mature in Christ that it will be attractive to other people, that they'll want to know more about who this God is. Everybody that we come into contact with will see God's glory in us. That's my prayer for us here in this church. So there's a key thing that I don't want us to miss. And it's the way that these verses talk about proclamation. There are lots of negative things that are spoken over our communities. There's lots of negative things that are spoken over the people in our communities. In fact, there's lots of negative things we speak over ourselves. And the statistics of what we read about this community are not good. We know that. We are in the most, one of the most deprived areas in Scotland. We know that's statistically true. And the things that come with that are really difficult, not good. And they're sad. They make us sad. Our community is in a difficult place. But in some ways, people have gone beyond just being honest about this community. And they've actually begun to speak death over it. And this is what this is saying. There is a serious challenge here in Isaiah 61 because it says we have to be proclaimers. I was going to burst into song again about that other proclaimer song, but I'll leave that for another time, right? (laughs) Proclaimers of freedom, proclaimers of God's goodness. We have to be people who are speaking the promises of God over our community and over ourselves so that up every close in this street, People will sense that they are able to give God their brokenness, their grief, their mourning, and they will receive comfort. They will receive a crown of beauty instead of a crown of ashes. They will give God their despair and they will receive a garment of praise. It says that Jesus will restore the places long devastated and we are part of that. We are part of God's renewal of this city and we declare God's goodness over it. So we've talked about our Nazarene heritage. We've talked about the call that we read in Isaiah 61. And these last few minutes, I want to talk about the call that we see in the life of Jesus that we read throughout Scripture because Jesus is the ultimate example of the heart of God. And when we read through the Scriptures, where do we find them? We find them with the poor, the lost, the sick, the marginalized, the vulnerable. And so every encounter Jesus has is an incredible challenge to us. So we're only going to focus on this in a few minutes, but we're actually going to cover loads of stuff. So you need to be really focused for the next two minutes. So in John chapter 4, when Jesus came across the Samaritan woman at the well, he gave her value and respect, even though everybody else was avoiding her. And then in Mark chapter 5, he healed the demon-possessed man who lived in absolute turmoil, tormented by his mind in the tomb, in the hills, isolated from the rest of society. And then in Mark chapter 10, he healed Bartimaeus, a man who was blind. And Jesus still reached out to him, even though all the people around Jesus were saying to keep Bartimaeus away. I don't know whether they thought that he wasn't worthy to have Jesus' time, but they were saying, no, don't don't let him come to, to Jesus. And Jesus was the one that said, let him come to me. What do, you, what do you want me to do for you? He said to Bartimaeus. And then in Matthew 19, Jesus invited the children to be part of what he was doing. Though many people didn't think the children were worthy of this, that the message wasn't for the children. And Jesus said the opposite. He said, the kingdom belongs to those who are like the children. And then in Mark chapter 14, remember when the woman anointed Jesus' feet 
with that special oil as a sign of her humility and her worship. And the disciples tried to pull her away. This was unheard of for a woman to be in this place and to be doing something like this. The shame of that. And Jesus said, actually, she was the example they should follow. He elevated her when everyone else tried to bring her down. He ate with tax collectors and sinners and the religious leaders. They just couldn't understand why he would give his time to people they considered the worst in society. But Jesus said to them in Luke chapter 5, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not called the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He came for the broken, is what he was saying. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus healed a man with leprosy. He actually reached out and touched a man risking infection himself. And this is a man who would absolutely, without a doubt, have been on the edge of society. No community around him. And Jesus touched him and brought him healing. Or what about John chapter 5, when he took the time to be at the pool of Bethesda? Now, this one is fascinating. Many disabled or sick people would gather around the pool, and they were desperate to be healed by the water. And Jesus brought healing to a man who couldn't get himself in the pool. And we hear these stories, and I think sometimes we take for granted that this is our God who who chose to spend his time with the most vulnerable. This is where he chose to be amongst those who were often left or ignored by society. And I could go on and on forever, but I won't, because God's heart for the least, the last, and the lost is everywhere throughout the Bible. I just want to mention one more story. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three stories of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And in these three stories, we learn something amazing about the character of God. He will always be searching for those that others would say aren't important enough to be looking for. And when he finds them and he brings them home, there will be incredible joy and celebration. And so if you feel like you are lost today, as if no one cares and no one is even looking for you, we know that Jesus is always reaching for you. If you've come back today after a time away, then just know that there's an actual party in heaven right now because the Father, Father God, is delighted that you are here. And so there are two questions that I feel are important for us as we're finishing today. And even if you were sleeping for the whole sermon, right, or I lost you at some point, this is your time to wake up and listen because this bit's really important. If you sense God tugging on your heart or you know that what I'm saying right now is for you, then don't leave here today without having somebody pray for you. So this is question number one. Have you met this Jesus for yourself? Is this the God that you know? Maybe you're sitting here and you need this experience of God to change your life. Well, the verses we've read today are for you. If you feel like you've come in here and you're carrying a weight of despair, then God wants to be able to lift it from you today. You don't have to leave here today carrying a weight on your shoulders. If you come in here with grief or you've come here with anxiety, then God wants to restore your joy and God wants to bring your peace. Maybe you're feeling hopeless this morning and you need God to fill you with hope again with his good news. Maybe you need healing for a broken heart or maybe you just need God to give you a fresh start. Well, we're going to take time to sing in a moment and to pray. And if this is you, then grab somebody that you know will pray for you 
or come to the front and kneel or stand. We do that regularly here and somebody will pray for you. And then the second question, how can we be the hands and feet of Jesus everywhere we go? Maybe you've forgotten that this is a faith that's not just all about you, but it's for other people as well. God needs you to share this faith with others. Maybe you've been having such a tough time that you need God to help you lift your eyes today so that you're able to see others who need Jesus. Or maybe you've just become numb over time and you need God to stir your heart this morning with compassion for others. We need the heart of God to stir us to action because this faith is not just for us. We are blessed to be a blessing. Maybe you've got the first bit, you know you're blessed. You need to be giving it away. And so, thank you that Richard's here. We're going to invite the team to come and help us worship this morning. And like I said, if you want prayer this morning, if anything I've said has touched your heart, then grab somebody to pray with you where you are or come to the front and kneel or stand and somebody will come and pray for you. And otherwise, just let's worship God. We're going to sing how great is our God and he is great. Great.